Thank you. Hello, my name is Brett. Do you ever think you're weird? Anybody ever think you're weird? Sometimes I think you guys are weird. Sometimes I think I'm weird. Do you ever wonder if people think the same crazy weird things that you do? Like you're alone in your bedroom or you're sitting at the airport watching people walk by and you're like, huh. And then do you ever wonder if anybody else is thinking the same thing? Do you ever want to do things that other people aren't doing? Do you ever want to say things that other people aren't saying? Do you ever have outrageous dreams or impossible ideas? Anybody? All four of us? Cool. Cool. I used to. Used to be like that. I used to say weird things and have weird ideas. I used to ask a lot of questions and stir the pot. But gradually over time, the world fixed me. Fixed me. I learned what not to say, how not to think, how not to act, what not to do so that I could fit in and be like everybody else. And now here on the backside of that, it's really interesting for me to sit back and think that now that I fit in, all I want to do is stand out. Now that I'm not too weird or too crazy, now that I can kind of blend in with the crowd, now that I'm kind of like everybody else, I talk like everybody else, I think like everybody else, now that I fit in, all I want to do is stand out. Does anybody want to stand out? Some of us do, some of us don't. Some of us like to hide in the back. And that's cool. I think that the word today is, is for, for the people who want to stand out and the people that don't. But I want to be outrageous. I want to be outrageous in action, outrageous in thought, outrageous in deed. I want to dream outrageous dreams. I want to be outrageous. I don't want to be outrageous just for the sake of being outrageous. I want to be appropriately outrageous, but I want to be outrageous. And so tonight I'm going to talk about the process I've been personally going through, the scriptures that God has been highlighting to me over the last probably year to not just becoming outrageous, but becoming outrageously me. Outrageously so in touch with who I really am and free, so free that I have no problem expressing it. So confident and comfortable with who I am that I don't need to pretend to be anything else. This isn't a, a, a preachy sermon. You know, a lot of times uh, I'll bring, uh, when, I, when I get to speak somewhere, I'll bring like an illustration to convey some deep theological thought. There's not going to be a deep theological thought. It's just what God is showing me, what God is putting on me, what the scriptures God is highlighting to me to bring me back into who I was supposed to be. Now, the goal for us isn't that you guys would learn to be like me. It's that we would be able to walk out tonight, that you would be able to walk out tonight and be like you, the real you, the authentic you, the outrageous you. Your true nature before it was ever beaten and molded by the crappy stuff that hits us in life. How do I become outrageously me? Matthew chapter 20. I brought my Bible, but I'm just going to read it. It says, for the kingdom of heaven is like a landmower, lawnmower, landmower, landowner. 
just... Okay. Let's... Uh... For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner. Thank you. We can go home now. Who went out early in the morning to hire workers in his vineyard. He agreed to pay them a denarius for the day, and he sent them into the vineyard. About nine in the morning, nine in the morning, he went out and saw others standing in the marketplace doing nothing. He told them, you also go and work in my vineyard, and I will pay you whatever is right. So they went. He went out then again at noon and about three in the afternoon and did the same thing. About five in the afternoon, he went out and found still others standing around. He asked them, why have you been standing here all day and doing nothing? Because no one has hired us. That's what they said. He said to them, you also go and work in my vineyard. When evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call the workers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last ones hired and going to the first. The workers who were hired about five in the afternoon came and each received a denarius. So when those who came who were hired first, they expected to receive more, but each of them also received a denarius. When they received it, they began to grumble against the landowner. Those who were hired last worked only an hour, they said, and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the work in the heat of the day. But he answered them, am I not being fair to you? Or am I being unfair to you, friend? Didn't you agree to work for a denarius? Take your pay and go. I want to give the one who was hired last the same as I gave you. Don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? Or are you envious because I am generous? So the last will be first and the first will be last. The first five times I read this, I was like, well, that's an interesting story. I'd probably get pissed off. The things that stick out to me in scripture are really weird. Like, I'll read that, and I'll be like, I'll think to myself, the landowner must be kind of a heavier dude, because he went to the market like six times. That's the kind of stuff that I think about. But, and sometimes I miss the point. But after like the sixth time of reading this, I started to pull what we're going to talk about tonight. And so let me break this story down in, in words that we can understand. There's a business over. He goes downtown. He hires somebody at about 8 in the morning. He says, hey, I'm going to pay you 100 bucks to work for me today. They're like, great, cool. They go back. They, they work in his business. He goes back at noon, says, hey, I'm going to pay you 100 bucks if you'll work for me until 8 today. Perfect. They go back and he picks up some more at three o'clock and he says, hey, I'm going to pay you a hundred bucks if you work for me today. And they say, perfect. Then he goes back at five o'clock and he says, hey, I'm going to pay you $100 if you work for me for the next hour. And they're like, sweet. That's like a hundred dollars an hour. <laughs> and so eight o'clock rolls around and now it's time to make it rain with the Benjamins. And so the business owner says, let's start with who I hired last. And so he brings in the person, he brings in the person that he hired an hour before closing. He says, boom, hundred bucks. And then the five o'clock, boom, hundred bucks. The three o'clock, boom, hundred bucks. The 12 o'clock, boom, 100 bucks. And then the eight o'clock, boom, 100 bucks. And they're pissed. If you were hired at eight o'clock and you worked all day and you got the same who of the person who was hired and worked only an hour, I'd be upset too. But why were they upset? It's what they agreed upon. 
Right in the beginning, he said, hey, I'll give you $100 if you work for me for the entire day. They agreed, they agreed on it. They got exactly what they agreed upon. But the principle being illustrated in this scripture is something that I struggle with on a day-to-day basis. If the guys who had been there and worked all day, if they had got paid first, they would have took their money, they would have went home, they would have been happy. There would have been no problems. They got what they expected. They would have take, took, taken their hundred bucks. They would have went home and they would have been just fine, but they didn't. They got paid last, so they got to see what everybody else got. And so their issue wasn't that they got paid 100 bucks. Their issue wasn't how much they had. Their issue was how much they had in comparison to everybody else. And that's what I struggle with. Theodore Roosevelt says that comparison is the thief of joy. Tonight, I want to talk a little bit about my my struggle with comparison. The biggest attack on my identity as an individual, as uniquely the person that I am, the biggest attack is not what I have or what I can do or who I am. It's basing all of that in comparison to somebody else. If I was the only person that I was comparing myself to, then I would be fine. But because I'm constantly comparing myself to other people, my identity is constantly under fire because I'm constantly not enough compared to somebody else. This was even demonstrated in preparation for this sermon. Uh, Waterbury asked me uh, before, he says, are you ready? I said, I'm nervous. I'm nervous. I don't usually don't get nervous. I do this a lot. But I think that I'm nervous because I'm, I'm at home. I know you guys. And I know what you get consistently on a weekly basis. Anywhere, 95% of the places that I speak, I don't teach at every week. So I don't know what their normal service is like. I don't know what their normal speaker is like. I come in, I do my thing. I do it like I like to do it. Sometimes I yell, sometimes I move around. And even though my mom doesn't like it, sometimes I talk really fast. I do my thing and then I go home and I have no one to compare myself to. And I don't know whether it was good, bad, gross, ugly, or beautiful in comparison to what the people get on a weekly basis. But here, I know what you get. I know Eric Knopf. Eric Knopf is one of the greatest thinkers in the world. I'm so jealous. The the times that I get to hang out with him, I just sit and I'm like, who thinks like that? And it's just amazing. And so I know, I know what you consistently get. And so even in preparation for the sermon on comparison, I compared myself. Man. I used to get, sometimes I still do, insecure when I'm not the biggest person in the room. I don't mean physically. I've never been physically the biggest person in the room. That has never been a gift that I have had the pleasure of. Well, I, guess, I guess I worked at a preschool one time. I was kind of... <laughs> so maybe that's not 100% true. But, but now I'm learning. It's not, it's not about being the biggest person in the room. When I say the biggest person, I mean the best. The best at something, the best at this, the best at that, whatever. The biggest person in the room. Now, I, now I'm learning. And over the last year, I've been gradually learning. It's not about being the biggest person. It's about being the only Brett in the room. It's my job to make sure that Brett Shoemaker shows up when I'm there. That's my job. 
And, and the fact of reality is that tonight, in this moment, right now, there's only one Brett Shoemaker in this room, and it was my job to make sure that he showed up. Big or small, whatever he's like in comparison to someone else, it doesn't matter. It's my job to make sure that Brett shows up. Sometimes I just need to, we just need to remind ourselves that we're not living somebody else's story. This is our story. We don't need, we don't need to, to walk the footsteps of, of someone else trying to be like them. We can, we can take wisdom, we can take leadership, we can learn from people, but we are our own person. Do you wanna know the, the best way to combat comparison? Take whoever you're comparing yourself to and just begin to lift them up. Begin to honor them. Begin, begin to say great things about them. Begin to encourage them. Because so often, and I do it in my life, but so often I see it a lot, is when we see somebody who's doing something really great, the first thing that we do is try and take them down. We find things that we don't like about them. We'll say, well, at least they're, you know, they're human. They've got this. But it's not about... I mean, that's, that's, just, that's just me and my insecurity. I'm not, that's just, that's just me trying to pick something out that I don't like about them because they are doing really great. But when we shift our heart and when we shift our mind and when we shift our attitude and just say, you know what, you are doing awesome. You know what, Zach, your six pack looks great. It's an eight pack, my bad. But when we, <laughs> When we, oh gosh, <laughs> when we stop trying to pick out the flaws and just start picking out the glories of people, it really changes our heart. I'm going to pray real quick. Jesus, <laughs> Lord, let your spirit be present, our hearts be open, in Jesus' name, amen. <laughs> that was just a bad idea. I'm just going to stick to the notes. <laughs> When we're comparing ourselves to other people, we need to realize that they don't even compare to us. Whenever we compare to someone else, we're really just calculating whether or not they're a better version of myself. He's not as good. He's not as good. He's better. I don't like him. But really, they don't even compare to us. We can't calculate them to us because they don't, they don't compare. And when, when Jesus judges us, on judgment day, he doesn't judge us in comparison to someone else. I'm not going to, Waterbury is not going to be there when, I, when I'm on, on judgment day. I'm not going to be compared to someone else. It is me and who I chose to be in the life that I chose to live. And I need to make sure that I'm living like Brett Shoemaker. The only reason we compare ourselves, and this is something that just in, in prayer for this, I really began to understand. The only reason that we compare ourselves is because we aren't secure in who we actually are. How does this person stack up to me? Are they doing a better or worse job than me? If they stack up worse, I feel better. If they stack up better, I feel worse. And then, and then there's sometimes I don't even need to compare myself to feel bad about myself. I've done things in my life that I don't, I don't like. To this day, I don't like. To this day, I would regret. I'm not really that 
that person who will say, you know, if I could go back and do it again, I would do it all the same. No, I wouldn't do it all the same. I would change up the stupid things that I did, and I would sub them out for smarter things. That's, that's what I would do. But teach their own, I guess. That's behind me. I can't, I can't focus on that. Regardless of the, stu- the stupid decisions I've made or regardless of the stupid decisions you have made, sometimes we just need to remind us whose image we're made in and who our Savior is. Jesus didn't die so that we could continue living in bondage that who we are isn't good enough. I'll say that one more time. Jesus didn't die so that we can continue to live in the bondage of who we are is not good enough. Jesus died to set us free from that. You know, Scripture says in in the book of Genesis that God created man in his image. Man and female, he created them in God's image. And then in the book of Romans, it says, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We are created. We are created in the image of the living God. That is the image we are created in. Yet somehow in my mind, at some point, I come to the conclusion that I'm not good enough. A lot of times, maybe you can relate, I'll process things in statements like this. I only matter if. I only matter if I'm smart. I only matter if I'm attractive. I only matter if I have enough money. I only matter if I can preach a good sermon. I only matter if I can write and get lots of people to read it. I only matter if I can help people. I only matter if I can get women to like me. I only matter if I'm so good at something that I stand out from the rest. As a parent, some of you are parents, some of you aren't, but I want to picture yourself as a parent for a second. As a parent, would you let your child talk about themselves in the way that you talk about yourself as a parent. So often we say things about ourselves that God has never and will never say. Deep down inside, I battle with whether or not who I am, at the core of who I am, is that good enough? Is that good enough? Without the filters, without the safeguards, without the mechanisms for protecting my heart, without all of those little things, when I am completely bare, when I am completely naked, when I am completely, authentically, outrageously myself, is that good enough? And then that very fear drives me away from intimacy. We don't think people will like us when we're in progress. I need to work on some stuff. People don't like us when we're in progress. They'll like us when we arrive. Once I can, you know, clean it up a little bit, then I can open my heart up a little bit. And you may be relating and you may not be, you may not be relating. I don't want to speak this over anybody, but I have a feeling that I'm not the only one that thinks about this kind of stuff. We think that people won't, will only like us when we arrive. But the problem with that is, is that, we never fully arrive. You know, there's always 
something. And the underlying principle in all of that is that I only matter if I'm good enough. I just want to be good enough to matter. Whether or not someone can actually be good enough, that's kind of a theological sermon for another day. I don't want, I don't want to get into that. But if you're in this room and you have the same thought that I struggle with on a daily basis, if you're in this room and you're wondering if you're good enough, I just want to say that because of Jesus is who he is and he did what he did, that makes you good enough. Can I get an amen? amen. Preach it, white boy. Got to learn today. Thank you, Jesus. The beautiful, the beautiful thing about God in this whole process, you know, for me, throughout this process of pulling off the masquerade, he doesn't try and mold, mold us into something that we're not. He challenges us to step into who we really are. He doesn't try and mold us into something we're not. He challenges us to step into who we really are. He sees behind the performances and the desires to be popular and fit in and safe and, and encourages, encourages us to be who we really are before anything else ever got in the way. Being real is better than being cool every time. Being real is better than being cool every time. And deep down inside, that's kind of all I want. I want someone to see me for me, completely me, without the filters, without the masquerade, without, without any of this stuff that I've put on to protect myself. I just want someone to see me for who I am and say, I still like you. I still want to do relationship with you. That's, that's true relationship. It's not, it's not, that we're so good and that we're so perfect that anybody would like us and therefore they're in relationship with us. That's not relationship. Relationship is good and bad. So that I know, I, I just want someone to say, Brett, I know you're bad. But I still choose relationship with you. And that's, that's true intimacy. The best way we can have true intimate, intimacy, true intimacy, <laughs> The best way we can have true intimacy is by choosing to share it with healthy people. We are the way we are because life is the way that it is. I don't like opening my heart up because of the times where I put my guard down and I got punched in the throat. And if you put your guard down enough times and you get punched in the throat enough times, guess what? you're not gonna put your guard down anymore, right? It's just, it's, just the way, it's just the way we're wired. It's human nature, it's, my, it's a natural defense, but if we're more intentional about the people that we do relationship with, we wouldn't get punched in the throat so many times. <laughs> the majority of the disasters in my life could have been avoided if I was just hanging out with healthier people. And a great step to becoming outrageously you is by being around people who bring the outrageous out of you. I've never had better friends than the friends that I have right now, ever, not in my life. Both Christian and non-Christian, to be honest. It's because I know what I'm looking for. 
And, and when I say friends, I mean like friends. Not like the guy that I met at In-N-Out during lunch today. Like, he's probably a cool dude, but we're not friends. I mean like friends. I've never had better friends than the ones that I have now because I know what I'm looking for. I'm looking for people who are authentic, people, people who are truthful, people who when I open my heart up, they aren't going to punch me in the throat. And then when you start looking for that, then you, then you can start putting the guard down because you know that the people in your life, they may give, give you an elbow every once in a while because we're all human. But at least I can be open and comfortable and honest and, and trust people now. And it's all because I decided to do relationship with healthier people. Then the walls start to come down and then the hearts start to come out. And now the beautiful thing is that once I put the guard down, I don't feel so alone anymore. And then of course, the most important thing to stepping into who you really are is constantly reminding yourself of who you follow. Who do you follow? John chapter 21. Interesting story. Probably an intense story. Uh, I'm going to read it to you. It's a, it's, Jesus has died and he's come back. He's resurrected And Jesus asked Peter, Peter is one of uh, Jesus' 12 disciples, do you love me? Peter says, yes, Lord, I love you. He says, no, do you love me? He says, yes, Lord, I love you. He goes, no, do you love me? Yes, Lord, I love you. It's weird he asked three times because a week prior, Peter had said, I don't know the guy. He denied Christ three times. And so now after when Jesus reveals himself to Peter, he says, Peter, do you love me? And he asks it three times. And then, and then we pick up right here in John chapter 21, verse 18. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, Follow me. Not a very good halftime speech. He just told Peter how he's going to die. He says, people are going to lead you to where you don't want to go, and that, and that your arms are going to be stretched out. Peter, Peter gets crucified, and people would all get crucified in the, in the same location. So, so Jesus is essentially telling Peter, hey, bro, you're going to get crucified. Not a good halftime talk. Don't, don't break that one out at the championship game. Hey, guys, I got a scripture for us. It's going to pump us up. And then, no. Verse 20 says, Peter turned and saw that the disciple whom Jesus loved was following them. This is John. John is another disciple. We often call him John the Beloved or the one who Jesus loved, John. This is the one who had leaned back against Jesus at supper and said, Lord, who is going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he asked, Lord, what about him? I'm going to get crucified for the glory of God, but God, what about him? What's he going to do? What's going to happen to him? It's so weird that 
that Peter just got told how he was going to die by crucifixion, not very appetizing. And the first thing that he says is, well, what about him? If I have to get crucified, then what's, what's your favorite going to get? You know, what's he going to do to bring glory to God? And Jesus answered, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? You must follow me. What is that to you? You must follow me. Not one of Jesus's most encouraging moments. Peter was told he's going to die a painful death. His immediate reaction is, well, what, what, what happens to him? And he goes, what does it matter? What does it matter what happens to him? What does it matter what happens to anybody else? You follow me. What does it matter the condition of somebody else? You follow me. What does it matter what the other workers in the field made? You follow me. What does it matter what the other people have and you don't have? You follow me. What does it matter whether or not life is fair? You follow me. What does it matter what other people say and think? You follow me. What does it matter how many people criticize you? You follow me. What does it matter how many people stand against you? You follow me. What does it matter how undeserving you feel? You follow me. Does anybody else's opinion really matter? I mean, that's not an excuse to ignore wise counsel. Like, yeah, I follow Jesus. It's like, no, that's not a good idea, bro. You're like, yeah, it's, I follow Jesus. If you're really following Jesus, then you can go by that logic. But you can't use it as an escape from, from receiving wise counsel. It's not, it's not an escape. But it is a reminder that on the day when you die, no one else is going to be there. It's going to be you and Jesus. Ain't nobody else going to be standing there with you. So what does it matter what your life, what my life looks like compared to anybody else? We follow Jesus. We follow God and he guides us to where we're supposed to go and where we're supposed to be. What does it matter? I'll make it personal. What does it matter that Eric Knopf preaches relevant in-depth messages every single week and it makes me uncomfortable. What does it matter? I follow Jesus. What does, it matter? what does it matter that everyone on my Facebook got engaged in the last two weeks? I follow Jesus. Right? I assumed you clapped because you noticed the same thing. You're like, what in the world? God, show me some favor, Lord. What does it matter what this person has and what I don't have? I follow Jesus. The great thing, the greatest thing, if you're going to take anything, if you're going to put anything in your little doggy bag and take it home with you, don't forget who you follow. I used to want to, to preach like Billy Graham. You may know, know Billy Graham, you may not know Billy Graham, he's a famous evangelist, America's evangelist, before Joel Osteen, of course. 
I used to want to preach like Billy Graham. I don't scream quite as much or point the finger. Um, maybe I should start doing that. But I used to want to preach like Billy Graham. I used to want to be prophetic like Bill Johnson. Some of you probably know who Bill Johnson is. I used to want to write books like Mark Batterson. Love that guy's writing. I used to want to be like this person, look like this person, and act like this person. But in the last year, God has just saying, been saying to me, Brett, I want you to be like Brett. I want you to be like Brett. The, the world doesn't need another Billy Graham. The world doesn't need another Bill Johnson. The world doesn't need another Eric Waterbury. Please. I just can't, can't handle two. The world doesn't need another Billy Graham, Bill Johnson, Eric Waterbury. The world doesn't even need another Jesus. We already had, we already had one. He already did what he came to do. B Billy Graham did what he came to do. Bill Johnson is doing what he's doing. Eric Waterbury is doing what he's doing. The world needs us to stand up and be who we are supposed to be. Be like who we are supposed to be. The world needs us to stand up and run businesses like we're called to. The world needs us to stand up and write books like we're called to. The world needs us to stand up and paint pictures like we're called to. The world needs us to stand up and be comfortable that who I am is enough. Who I am is enough. And so our job is that wherever we go, we just got to make sure that we show up. And it's not somebody else that we're trying to be like. It's not a mask that we're wearing. It's not, it's not I'm so guarded, I don't want to let anybody. we got to make sure that we show up. The world doesn't need us to pretend to be like someone else. The world needs us to be us. The world needs you to be outrageously you. I need to be outrageously me. Thanks, guys. I love you.